0: Hello there, and welcome to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And if you're interested in finding out more about the CCB, Canadian Council of the Blind, all you have to do is send an email to peterborough at gmail.com, that's peterborough at gmail.com. So, did you have a good Easter weekend and Passover? I certainly hope you did, um, I did, our gathering was small as it is supposed to be, but we had a good time anyway. We have uh, three interviews uh, today, and let's start with the interview with Alison Payne from the Canadian Cancer Society about the Pedal of Hope campaign, which is already underway. You can still participate, in spite of the fact that we are now in a lockdown, our third lockdown, and we... um, can't uh, do, can't go uh, a whole far distance, but there are still things that we can do. So here's my interview with Allison. Well, hi there, Allison, and welcome to the program again. Thank you for having me. Uh, And we appreciate uh, your being able to come on and keep us up to date. We're going to be talking about the Pedal for Hope campaign in just a second, but first, I wonder if, could you give us any statistics on pediatric or, or childhood cancer? Is it a, is it a common occurrence?
1: Um, you know, luckily, uh, you know, it, it, it's not a cancer diagnosed a lot, um, but certainly when it is diagnosed, it's, you know, it's very impactful, when it's, you know, it's, impacting our youngest um, our youngest Canadians. Um, you know the, the survival rate is quite high, which is fantastic, but there's still some cancers that, um, that are not treatable. One of the biggest issues with childhood cancer is um, although you know many many kids do survive, they have long-term health impacts from the, the effects of the, of the treatment. So that's a big factor when it comes to childhood cancer. Um, I say that with learning disabilities, things like that. So that's a, that's a key piece of, um, of, you know, helping our kids with uh, when they're going through
0: cancer and beyond. Yeah, that's unfortunate about the learning disabilities and that sort of thing. I, I don't know if I can ask you right off the top of your head, what did, which do you think or do you know which is the most uh, prevalent uh, childhood cancer? Would it be leukemia?
1: Um, to be honest with you, I'm not too sure on the stats on that, under which is which is um, the most diagnosed. Um, you know, obviously, leukemia is one that we do hear about, um, lymphoma, um, you know, um, some kids are dealing with uh, retinoblastoma in their eyes. So, you know, there's a variety of, of cancers that impact kids.
0: Yeah, I went to school with a few people uh, with uh, that had had retinoblastoma. and. Mm. And I know other uh, you often hear of uh, neuroblastoma of uh, yes, nerves somewhere. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, our goal is to uh, to fight this darn thing. And um, so I hear that the pedal for hope is actually already underway, right? Yeah, so we got, we kicked off
1: officially so kicked off a virtual campaign um, on the twenty ninth so a few days ago. Um, and even before then, we had schools signing up. So, yeah, we're really excited uh, to see the schools coming back on board this year. I mean, last year we had to go virtual at the very last minute, um, and schools, you know, they weren't prepared to be virtual either. So this year, because they are used to flip back and forth between being online and being at school, um, we are have uh, much more success with having the schools come in and support Pedal for Health.
0: So how is it going to work in the schools this year?
1: So the schools will be doing their own fundraising, um, and the kids will be signing up and doing their head shaves and ponytail cuts. Um, similar to last year, they'll be sending us pictures. Um, they'll be doing them at home and sending us pictures. We have schools that um, are selling masks, health for hope masks um, for us, and there uh, the officers are able to go in and do a virtual visit, so they'll just log into there um, virtually and have a visit with either a class or the entire school.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and are the the kids encouraged uh, to do uh, any biking at home? No, I mean, that's an
1: option we have. I mean, they can certainly go out and do their own biking um, for sure. Again, the schools really take it on and make it their own, and each school does something a little bit unique, which is what normally happens in a full-on person um, tour. The schools do their own fundraising, do their own projects, um, and that is the same for this year as well
0: hmm <clears throat> How long is the uh, campaign lasting this year? It goes until May 7th. Okay. So they have a really the whole month of, of April and a little bit of March and a little bit of May to, to do whatever they can do.
1: Yeah, yeah. We wanted to give, you know, lots of time. I mean, normally... To start fundraising in March, and then the tours would happen um, April into May. So we kind of wanted to keep the same timeline. Uh, yeah, they'll have a month, and they can shave and cut their ponytails anytime during that, say, uh, the campaign.
0: Sure. And is there uh, a, a number or somewhere where um, schools can arrange for uh, tours by officers or uh –
3: Yes, they can just,
0: um, they can actually just me
1: email me at allison.pain at cancer.ca. Um, they can go on to our uh, cancer.ca slash pedal for hope website and all my information's there. And if individuals in the community want to sign up, they can. They don't have to be affiliated with the school. Because they are virtual, it's open to anybody.
0: You'll take anybody's ponytail.
1: Yeah, yeah we, we will happily watch people shave their heads virtually.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. And uh, how many officers do you expect will be participating?
1: Um, we have officers in the Peterborough Police Services, OPP, Durham Police Services, um, RCMP, and Metrolinx, which is the GO train um, police division. So we've got uh, kind of a core group of uh, six or seven that have been really working on the campaign this year. And, uh, you know, any of them are willing to drop in virtually into, uh, into a classroom to, uh, to have a visit.
0: Hmm, That's great. Are you planning any other um, events or fundraisers during the, the month of April or coming soon? Um, well,
1: we do have our, our virtual daffodil campaign. So on cancer.ca, people can go on and buy a virtual daffodil, which is um, similar to what we did last year, actually. Um, that's happening. You know, due to COVID, we can't have people out selling daffodil pins. Um, so that, uh, that's the way we have to work that. And then Relay for Life is, again, going virtual uh, this year, um, again, because of COVID restrictions. So uh, that is happening on June 12th. Um, so, yeah, people can go to uh, to uh, Peterborough Relay for Life and, um, yeah, learn more about that.
0: Well, that's great. Now, is that um, Relay for Life uh, mostly for uh, breast cancer?
1: No, nope, Relay for Life is for all cancers.
0: Ah, okay, yeah. Well, I'll probably get a, another uh, media release from you between now and then, and uh, we might be able to get together and have a, a small chat about that when it comes a little closer.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: 100%. Well, I wanted to ask you about the goal. What, uh, what goal are you shooting for this year?
1: Oh, our goal this year is
0: $120,000. Wonderful.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other thing that we are doing is we are selling masks online. So anybody interested, again, can go to cancer.ca slash pedal for Hope. That's where the links to our masks are. All the information on the event is on that website.
0: Is there something on the mask that kind of uh, reminds people that uh, this is for uh, fundraising for the Cancer Society?
1: So the masks have our Pedal for Hope and our Canadian Cancer Society logo.
0: Terrific, yeah. Masks are definitely a very apropos at this juncture, aren't they?
1: Yeah, oh, 100% they are, yep. So, um, you know, everybody's looking for new masks, so we wanted to give the uh, that option to the schools to use a fundraising tool or for individuals to just go and buy online. So they're $10 each with $5 going towards
0: Pedal for Hope. All right, that's great. Um, any other details you wanted to pass along? I think that's it, yeah. Just the website
1: is kind of the key place to go for to donate, to sign up, or to order a mask.
0: Okay. Uh, once again, give us the website.
1: So it's cancer.ca slash Pedal for Hope.
0: All right, terrific. Are you doing any pedaling this year?
1: Uh, yeah, no, I'm not a biker. I'd rather walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need the pedaling up to the police. <laughs> I'm in my car.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, let us know when something else is happening.
3: Thank you so
1: much, Devin, for having me.
0: Okay. You uh, take soon. good care. Have a good Easter. You
1: too. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Bye.
0: Well, this being the first Monday of the month, it's time for us to have a chat with Kim Kilpatrick, who is a program coordinator with Get Together with Technology, which is a wing of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And so here's this month's chat about scanners and scanner apps. So it's time once again for our monthly feature called Get Together with Kim. And so we are getting together with Kim Kilpatrick from the uh, Canadian Council of the Blind in Ottawa. Morning, Kim. How are you doing?
3: Good morning. Good morning. Happy April, April. Yes. I guess And whatever you guys have celebrated.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting... Thursday is an interesting day because... Uh, it's uh, April Fool's Day in the morning and Monday Thursday Monday Thursday in the evening.
3: <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So I was thinking if we were recording on April 1st that maybe I could think of some witty thing, like April Fool's thing about tech, but I, I can't. I'm not good at those, <laughs> those
0: things. <laughs> anyway, we were going to talk about scanners and scanning apps today. And uh, I do have a Pearl uh, scanner here. Um, mm. I haven't used it all that much, but I, I do have it. So uh, what can you tell us about scanners and scanning apps?
3: Well, the way we got talking about this recently, someone had a question. So, I mean, you and I probably remember, and I don't know the listeners who are blind and have had tech for a while will remember, that reading material, uh, print material, was, was one of the biggest problems for us, for me for sure.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, because you couldn't read mail, you couldn't read bills, you couldn't identify anything, you couldn't read books, couldn't read. There were lots of things that you couldn't read. Uh, handouts if you were taking classes, there were all kinds of things. So before there was a lot of electronic correspondence, like electronic bills and electronic, you know, all of these things, there was a lot of material that we had to read. And and it, it sort of became really exciting to me when I, through the assistive devices program, I did get a scanner uh, with Kurzweil is what I had. Yeah. Uh, you could have Kurzweil or you could have Open Book. Either, either one I think worked okay, but I, I don't remember why I chose Kurzweil, but I did have, you know, <coughs> 1,000. hmm And it was a big, big scanner, kind of like a flatbed scanner. It had to sit on your desk. So, I mean, you had to bring everything to it because your computer and your scanner were, were there, and yes. so you would bring things to your scanner and you would scan them. Um, and I found that pretty great. You know, I was really excited about that. And I, I took all the mail there and I was and scan everything because I wanted to know what it was. And I realized quickly that junk mail is junk mail, you know. Like yes. There's a lot of stuff in there you don't need and you don't want. Um, but it was nice to be able to do that instead of getting readers to help you or someone cited to look at things and help you.
0: Yeah. So
3: that was, that was really good. But it wasn't portable, like there was no way of scanning something when you were out or somewhere else or in a class or in a meeting or any of that, there was no way. So that was the case for quite a long time where we just had the big scanners and and you put the paper in and you would scan it and then you would read it. And then it started to be where... I think Kurzweil had this device, which I never saw. That was kind of like a portable, it was like a phone, and then you know you could scan stuff out and wherever you were, and everyone got very excited about that. And so as the phones have improved uh, to the point, also they're stronger computers, but also the cameras are better. There's to be apps that would let you scan things um, on your phone. So there's several that do that, there's uh, Seeing AI, which is free, and it has two kinds of scanning. One is a short text scan, they call it, where you just hold your phone over something, and it starts to read what it notices.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, that's good for a quick, what is this? Like, what is this envelope here? What is this box? Where, you know, what is this bag of dog food? What kind is it, you know? Yeah. Those kind of things, but it doesn't save anything. It just kind of tells you whatever oh, no. it notices under your camera, what is it is. So that's good for that. Um, and then there are document scanning capabilities. So Seeing C&A AI also has document scan, which lets you take a picture of something and it reads it. Um, and there's many apps that are starting to do more of that. There's a pretty good one called Voice Dream Scanner, which is. Only cost maybe seven or eight dollars, as opposed to I don't even remember. Do you remember how much it cost? It would be a thousand dollars. Excuse
0: oh, me. Poor Devin. Yeah. Um. I don't know uh, how much it cost, but it was it was plenty. Yeah. That's for yeah, sure. yeah. So. Um, so can you use Voice Dream Scanner for uh, things like menus?
3: Now, the thing about Voidstream Scanner, and supposedly they're working on it, and I heard the other day that Envision AI, which is another one, which is kind of a subscription one, does scan columns. But Voidstream Scanner does not scan columns. So that can be a little bit of a problem with some menus if they were, you know, in a column. Yeah. If it's a sheet. It's pretty good. And I do like stream Scanner because it's, Um, It makes a sound, kind of, the sound gets a bit louder as if it has all four corners of the paper in view.
0: Oh, okay.
3: So that's that's quite good, and and it does quite a good job. The thing I always find, so so the question was, do we still need, you know, these scanning programs? Are we able to do everything with our phone? You know, what's the difference? What should people use and get? And... um, One thing I find is I find it a bit hard sometimes to get my pages in view, to scan them, you know, a little bit, sometimes with a phone because you have to have enough light, you have to, you know, line up your phone with the page, you have to have everything in view. Um, One of the things that, that people say is you put your phone in the middle of the paper and then you lift it straight up, up, lean your elbow on the table and about the length from your elbow to your hand is a pretty good length. And remember that often with your phone, it's the top right corner of your phone where the camera is, so you, you put that part, make sure that part is in the middle, then you're going to get a better stand. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't know. I hadn't thought of that. So that has helped me, um, and some people do buy a stand. And I have not yet done that, but I think I probably will do that because some people say it gives you better, um, it lets you do things hands-free. So there's several of them that you can get that you put your phone into a stand and it's above the document and so you can, you know, just line the document up and you don't have to hold your phone. You can have your phone, you know, sitting in this thing and do it. Um, so that's something you could do if you if you are going to use, especially if you're going to scan a whole lot of, of stuff, you know, a, yes. a whole lot of pages in a row, and you can you can just you know you don't have to line everyone up. You just line it up underneath uh, the phone where it is. Um, so the, so people, we were talking about the pros and cons of the you know the scanning programs versus the the scan. With with a phone or an iPad or whatever you have,
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, and I guess the pros of the phone or the portable device is that it is portable, and so if you're out somewhere, and you know, you and I have both probably gone into meetings—well, not not right now—but <laughs> where someone handed you like a handout or a schedule or a, yes, you know, and it would be nice to be able to just scan that right right away, mm-hmm. so you could. You could listen to it. You could read it. Um, so that's a pro, definitely, of that, and also things in your house. So in order for me to scan food packages or I would have to carry them up to the scanner, and sometimes they don't fit very well on the scanner, no. right, like the, the flat scanner. You you couldn't put certain boxes in there or certain packages of frozen food or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Put that on the scanner. So the good thing about having something you can hold in your hand is you can scan things in your kitchen or your, your bathroom or the medication bottle or something. You know, you can scan all those things easily without. Yes. Um, now, the pearl camera that you have, I think it's, it's smaller, right? So you might be able to do more with that. I've heard that's pretty good. I don't know. I've never seen one, so I don't really know.
0: Yeah, it folds up. So that you can, and it has a case.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, so you could definitely put it in your in your knapsack. Okay. And carry it with you. Uh, now it doesn't. You put the
3: paper underneath the camera. Or yes. How do you How do you do it?
0: That's right. You put it underneath the camera. But I I, I don't know. Like I think you'd have to have a laptop with yeah. you. Yeah.
3: You'd have to bring a laptop with probably with the program in it, like Kurzweil or Open Book or whatever you use. Open
0: book yeah. it uses. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh, be- because it oh. reads through the computer as as opposed to it having its own speaker, you know? Yeah,
3: yeah. So you would have to have all of that. Now there are some standalone I don't even know if they still make them, but they're worth Some standalone. One called iPal or something and another one that were very expensive but they did, you could scan things and then it would read it out. But I think most people now are either going with the apps on their phone because they are a lot cheaper than some of the solutions. Yes. Um, You know, Seeing AI is free and uh, Envision AI and SuperSense, which are similar to Seeing AI, they're subscription-based but they're still not as expensive, I guess, and Voice Dream Scanner, I think, is about $8 Canadian, um, and you can save it in Voice Dream Reader, so if, if someone does have an iDevice and they're using Voice Dream Reader, you can save what you scanned into there, so that, that is quite handy, mm-hmm. and um, I think there's a few other apps that people people also use to, to scan things and take the picture of things, but an interesting uh field because I know at the beginning no one could believe it like we couldn't believe it I remember you know trying to scan a book too and getting excited that I could just scan it although it you know it wasn't the greatest um but it was better than not not having the information yeah yeah That's you know like sure. that, that it's been a big big leap and uh
0: definitely now I wanted to ask you about the stands Do they have foldable legs?
3: Yeah, so I don't have one yet, but I know people who have something called a a giraffe. I think that was from the U.K., and someone told me they had something called a scan jig and a a stand scan. Some of them got them on Amazon and stuff, too, but I think they do. Um, They kind of have legs, uh, and you unfold them. And some of them have, like, almost like a tray where you can put the put the paper. Uh-huh. And above that, there's kind of like a, a place where you can put your phone or your, your device. Yeah. On, on a like, a, a shelf or, like, a holder, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way, also, it's stable when you go to take a picture. And I know a few of them had, one of them I saw had... Uh, or I saw the advertisement for. I didn't I haven't I haven't touched them. It had kind of lights in case you needed them. But I think nowadays our phones will automatically like, put more light on the page if uh, you need it. Right. Um so I I think that's how they are. I I have not yet gotten one but um I think I think it is it's 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 a tray on the bottom kind of where you put the paper. And I think you can easily carry some of those around with you. I think they fold up and they're, you know, they're pretty portable for that. But Yeah. I mean, and and someone I know said that they also use it to um, deposit checks. So, you know, some of the bank apps now, you can you can deposit checks by taking a picture of your check in your bank app. Yeah. They said it was much easier to do that because the phone was in the right place and, uh, you know,
0: well, I was good.
3: Yeah. Well, so yeah. I don't know because I don't have one yet, but I, I I've thought about getting one, and I probably will get one. Um, you know, so that I, I can I can use that a bit easier. I just find but the other thing I find is so if you're holding your phone, and even if you do have it lined up, it it moves a little bit when you take the picture. you yes. know. So yeah. uh, That's another part of it, whereas when it's sitting up on the when it's stationary, you can just take the picture and not worry about the phone you know, right. moving around too much. Now with these
0: apps that you can get, will they tell you uh, prior to scanning uh, move the paper uh, up or down or sideways or anything? Um,
3: they will often say like all four corners are in the view or oh, yeah. you know, they'll say something like that. Um, one of the criticisms of some of them is that they don't tell you this paper is upside down or whatever. Oh. And someone was saying the other day that the great thing about First Well and Open Book, I guess, is that they'll tell you the top the top of the page is, is at the top left corner or whatever they, however they say it. Oh, yes. Um, because sometimes we want to staple something, so sometimes we scan something and we need to it's a document we need to give to someone or something, we want to scan it and then we want to, you know, staple it together and give it to someone. So if we don't know whether it's upside down or right side up or backwards, um, we can't do that. Like, we can't collect it for someone and we we're not sure, you know, of that. So it does, they say, most of them say whether they can see the whole, the whole page. Like, they'll, they'll kind of say, I think Voice Scanner says all four corners are in view. And some of them will take the picture automatically if you have it set like that once it sees the whole page. So that that can be helpful. Yeah. Um, That can be helpful. I'm not the best scanner, though. I will say I I don't always have the best luck with um, with these things. And it's always hard to, to scan books because there's the spine and the... You know the two pages, and you have to line them up, and all of that. I haven't tried ever scanning a book with with a phone app, uh-huh. um, so I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how well that works.
0: You'd probably more like be more likely to try something like that if you had a stand, wouldn't you?
3: Yeah, but the thing I find now is books. So it used to be you couldn't get. There were lots of books you couldn't get, but I'm not finding that as much anymore because now um, there's so many books available on SILA and on um, even the books you can get in, say, iBooks or Kindle app or whatever, if you buy them, they, you can read them fine. You can listen to them with your phone. So I, I haven't had a great need to scan, and I haven't. Taken courses recently or anything, so I haven't had a great need to scan uh, books.
1: Mm-hmm. You can
3: you can find so many books all over the place. You know you don't need that as much as we used to. So no. I would say most of what I need to scan nowadays would be mail. Yes, or um, like I said, food boxes or or you know directions for things. Uh, directions for food or for, you know, things like that. Those kind of things in your medicine cabinet or, you know, um, dog medication or whatever. You know, these things are the things that I find more. That would be the most common thing I I would scan. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's come a long way. That's for sure. Oh,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. It's come a long way. And just to remind people too about some of the things, like CLF has the newspapers there. Oh yes, a lot of people use that to read newspapers, and it's very accessible if you if you're a member of Stila. They I don't remember how many they have, and they also have tons of magazines now, now electronically that you can get. <laughs> and also some of the <coughs> some of the news apps and the news sites are more accessible now than they were. So that was another thing that, you know, used to frustrate me growing up, that my family would be reading the paper, they'd be reading a magazine, and they'd say, oh, I say, what's in there? And they'd say, oh, nothing interesting or whatever. Yeah. But now we can read those things, too. Like, we can read them online, we can read them electronically. Yes. Um, so that is also a benefit, whereas before, you know, you couldn't get that information. No, as easily as we can now. Right. So it's a combination of scanning and just having things available electronically that we can we can read ourselves. Yes, it has made a big difference in terms of getting information and getting getting our documents, getting our mail. Yeah, you know, getting. Um, it still can be handy to have sighted people help you sort things? Oh yeah. So you know, we can scan our mail, we can scan our you know, receipts, we can do all that. It can be faster and helpful to get someone if you have someone you trust, you know, to kind of see yes. through some of that stuff. So Yeah. You know, I think. All
0: right. That's great, Kim. Thank you very much well, for thank this. You. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, now Trent Radio closes uh Down for a while, um, and I'm not sure that I'm doing the show in the summer. But uh, I'll I'll be in touch. When are they closing down at the end of at
3: the end of April? Uh, Yeah, close
0: to the end of April.
3: Yeah. Well, let me know if you want,
0: and. uh, that might be my church uh, as I want to rehearsal. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I need to go. But thanks very much, Kim, for doing this. And well, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. You take good care. Okay, you too. All Bye-bye. Right. Okay, bye now. In early June of 2019, My former co-host, Simon, Trevor, Annis, and I chatted with a very interesting young gentleman named Derek Newman-Still. He is a writer here in the Peterborough area with a disability, and he talked to us about the three books that he now has available, And I thought it would be a good thing for us to remind people about him and review exactly what he does. So here's our chat. And, uh, Derek, you're a writer... Focused mostly on disability issues, is that right?
4: That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm. Uh, I, I should just start out by. Uh, I teach at Trent University, um, but I also um, do a lot of activist work and uh, and a lot of uh, fiction and nonfiction writing as well. A lot of my work tends to be uh, situated around disability because <laughs> I'm disabled. So write what you know, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I've. I've I've. I've done a few different uh, types of work, so I do a lot of my scholarly work um, around representations of disability in Canadian science fiction and fantasy. And uh, a lot of my fiction work somehow ended up also being um, in the realms of science fiction and fantasy. And so uh, I've had a a lot of kind of experience in those areas. And and I think that's really important to look at, especially representations of disability in science fiction, Mm -hmm. um, because so often uh, science fiction writes us out of the equation uh, and pretends as though the future is just non-disabled, as though somehow we've been disappeared from the future. Um, And so a lot of my work is on that focus on bringing us back in and pointing out that we're here and we're going to be here for a long time.
0: Exactly. Uh, What really irritates me is uh, I like uh, watching The Onion, The Restless. Oh, yes. And uh, everybody that has a disability uh one way or the other they're magically cured
4: of course
0: yes <laughs> which just drives me crazy
4: we, we talk about that a lot in, in scholarship around uh, disability as well. Um, there's the, the the technological cure or in fantasy, the magical cure. Yes. Um, and it's as though able-bodied writers can't conceive of someone living and having a disability.
0: I know. And yeah.
4: So they either manipulate their plots so that we only live for a short time after becoming disabled or um, they have us magically healed somehow by yeah. a new technological invention or or some new type of magic or uh, my favorite is with people with, with uh, brain injuries when somehow they, they tend to, in a lot of fiction, fall again, hit their head and suddenly are cured from, yes. I guess, the anti-concussion concussion.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... You've just uh, written a book uh, recently, haven't you, that has been published?
4: Yeah, um, I have two books out this year. Um, One is called uh, Over the Rainbow, Folk and Fairy Tales from the Margins, uh, which focuses on um, essentially rewriting fairy tales from the perspectives of marginalized folks.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah,
4: um, because so often we're told that... um, that fairy tales aren't changeable, but of course they're oral narrative. They've always been changeable and they've always changed and yet they, they don't include disabled voices or they include us as the villains. Yes. Um, and so, uh, I thought it was important for us to have the, the ability to bring in um, some some marginalized voices, both from from the disabled community, but also from the queer community, and from the community of, of Black Indigenous people of color, um, and other underrepresented groups, to show we're really important to to telling stories. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, we're a part of life, so uh, yeah. might as well. Uh, Talk about us and get us out there yeah.
2: and that sort of thing. I'm okay. always surprised at how often the disability is used for an evil character. Like the evil yes. character has has a disability, or uh, yeah. it just seems so common.
0: The Hunchback of Notre Dame.
2: You don't think yeah. about it much, but
4: now that we've said it on the air, I mean, somebody yeah.
2: watching this or listening to this, you'll see things differently.
4: Absolutely, and especially um, it ties into a trope that we we call um, the self-loathing cripple trope. Um, where often the reason why the character is a villain is because they hate themselves in the disabled body. Yeah. And so they then enact villainous acts to, um, to take it out on the able-bodied world, which I think shows us a lot about able-bodied fears of disability as well. Yes. Um, it really kind of shows that, that discomfort that folks have around, uh, around disabled bodies and that, that lack of knowledge, I think, uh, facilitates a lot of that.
2: Hmm. I, I wonder how many people know somebody who is living with something like that. I mean, how many kids grow up never even meeting somebody or knowing somebody? So the only chance they get to see them, they're represented as an evil character in a in a, in a Disney
4: film or something. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Deb. No,
0: no, go ahead.
4: Uh, especially since uh, so often disabled folks, uh, we tend to be institutionalized a lot. So our society functions on this basis of hiding us. Um, so we frequently have that that kind of philosophy of um, if you don't see the disabled person, then you don't have to create any accommodations for them. Yeah. Um, and it, it influences the way especially people grow up thinking about disability because all they're seeing is us represented as villains or us represented as, um, people who hate themselves or us represented only shortly until, um, character death. Um, we use the term for that trope. Uh, it's called the better dead than disabled trope,
3: oh. um,
4: because the, the writers can't think of a way that someone could live a happy life and be disabled. Yeah. And just to, to kind of, uh, illustrate the way that plays out in, in the real world, um, when when Stephen Hawking died, I, I posted something about the problematic representation of him um, because people were showing images of him standing up and walking out of his chair and, and into oblivion. And I was like, this is really problematic to, yeah. to try to conceive of him as able-bodied after death. And people wrote tons and tons of hate mail to me saying, um, like, we're just trying to be nice and it's better for him and he's better off. And, uh, and then when I was like, well, I'm a disabled person and I, I, would like to think that I'm happy and, and living happily. And they were like, this is just ridiculous. It's a joke. You can't be happy and disabled. Um, and so I'm, I'm toning down the language cause there was a lot more, a <laughs> lot more yeah. colorful language in there. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of a conference that I went to a number of years ago, and apparently the, one of the guys that was speaking said that um, he had uh, um, SMA, uh, spinal muscular atrophy, yeah. and uh, he developed a case of pneumonia, and the doctor looked at him and said, you don't really want medication, do you? So, what? I know, isn't it? That- Despicable.
4: It's unbelievable. Yeah, I shouldn't say it's unbelievable because it's it happens all the time. But yeah. it, it's just frustrating.
0: It sure is. Yes, in this day and age, I mean, you'd think that people would learn by the by this time. For goodness' sake. Anyway, uh, so that was that's your first book, and what is your the second book that's oh, out? Right,
4: now? yes, that's important to cover too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the the other book that I have out this year um, is a collection of stories called "We Shall Be Monsters," and <laughs> it's uh, it's about the legacy of Frankenstein. Because last year uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein turned two hundred, uh-huh. um, and so we wanted to do something that honored uh, Mary Shelley's legacy. Um, and especially something that really delved into body texts. And um, unlike with Over the Rainbow, I, I didn't put a huge amount about specifically requesting stories from people in marginalized communities, but that's most of what came in. And those, of course, were the, the strongest stories, because there's something about understanding the position of Mary Shelley's, like, Frankenstein's monster that... Um, through that notion of the body and through ideas of oppression and so much of that um was reflected in the writing. Um so we had a lot of stories that were really wonderfully um what I would call body texts. They were they were focused on the representation of the body and uh, and the monsters experiences of life through the body. So it was it was a really wonderful set of stories that came in.
0: That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you you got uh, stories from various people, did you?
4: Yes. So this was an edited collection, and Ah. we had people um, from all over the world. Over the Rainbow was exclusively Canadian, um, but for We Shall Be Monsters, we decided to open it up. We did get approximately about um, 60% of the stories that we chose were Canadian, um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's... uh, that's, again, part of my preference as an editor. As I was reading them, there were a lot of themes that resonated with me, and they ended up being written by Canadian authors. Because um, I, I purposely kind of did not look at who who was sending things in until after I'd chosen the stories, and then noticed some trends in terms of, oh, I'm choosing stories by folks from Canada, <laughs> folks who are marginalized. Um, and and I think that, that meant it was a really interesting collection Of text that I think will appeal to non Canadians as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that there are a number, uh, is a number of Canadians that are writing about disability issues.
4: Yeah, in in fact, there's a, a collection that is just um, being formed now. I've got a story in it. Um, it's a collection called Nothing Without Us. Oh, okay. good. Um, that is, uh, it's being edited by. Uh, it's through Renaissance Press, and it's being edited by uh, by Kat Gordon and uh, by Talia Johnson. And uh, it's all stories by disabled folks. Um, multiple different genres. I wrote science fiction. I know, shocking. <laughs> 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 um, and uh, and my story was sort of about. Um, it's called Charity um, TM, <laughs> <like> trademark, <laughs> okay. um, because uh, what I what I do in the story is I um, I tell a story of not too distant future, um, where we folks with disabilities have to go to these. Um, Charity shows and essentially have to show off our disabled bodies in order to be able to get funding um, through um, a company called Charity, um, which uh, which then funds us because of government cutbacks. And so um, I wanted to show the kind of the way that our disabled bodies are being treated like objects, um, and our um, and the fact that our our governments are. Are moving further and further away from support programs for us. Yes. Um, and defunding us over and over and over again. And so, I, I'm excited to see the rest of the stories in the collection too, because I, I have a feeling, um, like knowing the editors, it's going to be a really interesting collection, um, full of very eclectic stories around disability.
0: Mm-hmm. When? Sorry, Simon. Yeah,
4: you've got a question, Devin. Go for it. I'm going to go out next.
0: Oh, I was just going to ask uh, when. Do you know when that might be out?
4: I believe it's being kickstarted right now, oh. um, and so they're they're trying to to get funding from the community to be able to um, uh, to pay their authors and to pay for publication. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know when the Kickstarter stops, uh, but I, I believe it's out this year. It should be out later on this year. Okay. Um, I should probably check with the editors before I say that, <laughs> but I'm going to say maybe this year. Yes,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> if not,
4: then early next year. hmm yeah, and I'm just really excited about it. They've asked me to also write the uh, the introduction for it as well. Thankful. Um, and so I'm excited about how I can bring those stories together, and talk about this idea around the need for fiction by disabled people um, that are also for disabled people. Because so often, and I'm, I'm sure we've all read stories by disabled people that are written assuming an able-bodied audience. Yes. Um, and it's just nice to have stories that are written by us for us. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited about about seeing stories that don't have to go into details pathologizing our bodies first. Right. But instead, like just jump right into the story.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Simon.
2: So I'm curious. Uh, I don't read a lot myself, and and I don't watch a lot of shows, and I don't yeah. I don't take on a, a lot of media, but. Uh, I mean, are there really great examples of popular uh, text or media where people are represented well in in all forms of life? And do you think that, uh, just a second build-on question, do you think that the right way to go to try and get everybody to see things differently, to to have specific categories of film and media and art, or do you think we should try to hide it or embed uh, really, really positive representations in everything and try to just make sure
4: we're all... Uh, represented. I think we've got a, a lot of educating to do for folks um, around um, around how to write fiction um, that represents disability in a positive, I shouldn't say positive, innate, um, in a realistic way. Uh, because a lot of folks, I, I give a lot of talks on uh, at authors' conferences, writers' conferences, on how to write disability, and uh, and often what ends up happening is. Um, people will ignore everything that I've said and then send me a manuscript that they're like, okay, Uh. here's my manuscript. And it'll be what we call in the disabled community inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. Um, The the term inspiration porn is used for, um, I'm sure we've all seen... Um, these on Facebook, but the, uh, the, the worst disability in life is a bad attitude or um, things along those lines yeah. or um, you never know what you can do and it'll have a, an image of a disabled person doing something totally normal. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of folks will will think that they need to write a positive story about disability, but then we'll make it entirely about turning us into inspiration, um, turning us into um, essentially... The hollow characters that are uninteresting, that are just made to be in, uh, inspirational to able-bodied people. Um, I think we have a, a lot of this issue in in a lot of our fiction and it kind of subtends a lot of uh, a lot of the tropes that happen in our fiction. And ultimately, I like to tell people if you write a character who is disabled, whose only dimensionality is they're disabled that's not a rich character. That's not an interesting character. Um, So it's not only good for uh, us disabled folks to see characters that are well-rounded. It's good for the author as well to go beyond just writing a trope. And I've seen authors who have said things like, you know, I gave the story, uh, I gave the character a backstory. I'm like, okay, well, what's the backstory? They're blind. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And what's the backstory? Yeah. Well, uh, that's why I use images of darkness, and I'm like, oh no. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we have this happen so often in our fiction. And, and I think what we need to do is really look hard at the way that disability is being talked about in our social discourse, and how that relates to fiction. And, and I mean that both ways, because often, the way we talk about disability influences the way we write about disability, the mm-hmm. way that films portray disability. But those, those writings and those films also reinforce the social messages around disability in our society too and so uh, when folks for example are are portraying disability um, in in their artwork as something that is, uh, one of one of my least favorite tropes is the faking it trope, um, where someone is faking their disability, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, and that's often, for a lot of mystery books, that ends up being the, the plot is the person mm-hmm. was faking it and therefore they're a criminal. Um, and, of course, we can see the impact that has on perceptions around uh, disability support programs. The fact that often more money is spent... Um, on researching disabled people, on questioning disabled people, then it's actually giving out in support money itself. Um, mm-hmm. And so th- we often see that perception that most disabled people are faking it, when of course there's no impetus for us to do that. Who wants to, uh, for example with ODSP, who wants to live below the poverty line, right?
0: Yeah, precisely.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's a, that was a really good answer. Thank you. Sorry about blabbing on there. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
3: no.
4: I feel yeah. a bit passionate about the topic. Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel like we yeah. could talk
2: about this for hours, and I guess yeah. that's why
4: there's a course about this, or
2: you're teaching this type of thing at Trent.
4: In, in different ways, yeah. Um, I've taught a couple of different courses. I always try to bring disability into my teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I've had courses uh, this past year. I've had two courses that were directly related to disability. Um, one was a Disabled Feminisms course, Uh, taught through Women and Gender Studies, and the other was um, uh, Mental Health and Education taught through the Master's Program in Education. Um, But in the past, normally I've taught through the English department, and frequently there... um, uh, often there's pressure to teach the canonical texts. In most English departments, there tends to be a focus on... I'm like, sorry, the canonical? Yeah, so... What like, does that mean? Uh, teach the big names. Okay. And so you know how everyone says, like, you need to have read Shakespeare. You need to have oh, right. read... Oh, yes. Um, and they'll the list things. Um, Often that those texts that tend to be preferred by, by most um, folks teaching tend to be written by straight, able-bodied white men. Um, and so often, um, I, I think at the... That we need to see more representations of those who aren't covered in the canon of of literature um folks especially um i like to teach a lot about folks who are uh people of color um folks that are disabled folks that identify as queer um authors who are women um, and i think that's really important for us to bring (coughs) into um
1: sorry sorry about that
4: no that's okay uh, into a lot of our, our teaching, because we need to give a sense of the, the bigger world of fiction that's out there, and especially because our, our students are aware of those bigger worlds of fiction um, and are often interested in those areas. They tend to be really passionate about the folks that they haven't heard from before. They don't want another course that, that just talks about Shakespeare. <laughs> they yeah. want one that brings in, like, what are other people talking about? Hmm. Great.
0: So, where can people um, get your books uh, f- uh, to to read? Uh, the library are, are they in their local library?
4: Uh, I sent in a request for them to bring them in because they do mm-hmm. have a, a local author section, and so I don't know if they've gotten them yet. I'll have to check in again. Okay. Um, but there's also there's copies in the for folks in Peterborough in the local chapters as well. Um, of uh, of Over the Rainbow. Um, And both books, uh, Over the Rainbow and We Shall Be Monsters, can be bought on Amazon um, and pretty much anywhere that sells books.
0: Are they in the audible format? Sorry, Simon.
4: Not yet that I'm aware of. It's Mm -hmm. something that I've been really pushing for because um, one of the things I talked about with both publishers was the need for us to have accessible versions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I'm hoping that we can... Work on that process of getting together an audiobook. It is something that we were able to get. Um, so uh, the um, the anthology I was telling you about of disabled fiction um, uh, called Nothing Without Us is uh, is actually getting an audiobook, um, and we've Thank made sure and confirmed that. Um, which is wonderful, um, and uh, so I'm excited that that's going to be coming out. I'm hoping that we can do the same for the other collections as well. There seems to be more of a focus uh, from programs like Audible of doing full novels instead of uh, collections of fiction. Uh, yeah. And so I'm hoping that, uh, that maybe we can push to have that happen because I, I think we benefit from hearing short stories as well.
0: Definitely. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming. That's uh, great, and I wish all the best of luck with your three uh, books, uh, the two that you already have and the one that's coming out, and uh, I'm hoping we can chat again someday.
4: Thank you. And if you, if for listeners, if you are interested in following up on my work, uh, I have a, a website on disability called Disabled Embodiment, and a website on Canadian science fiction and fantasy called Speculating Canada. And so you can do a search for either of those and and find my work that way.
0: dot com or dot ca. Uh,
4: the Speculating Canada is Speculating Canada dot ca. Uh-huh. And Disabled Embodiment is disabledembodiment.wordpress.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to to chat with such brilliant people. (laughs) And uh, I hope we get a chance to bring you on to my show at some point as well, if you have time.
0: Yeah, I'd love uh, to. Because
4: it would be lovely to chat with you again.
0: Yeah. Great. Thanks, Derek. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too now.